Well, good morning again, and uh, I'm glad you're here, and happy Mother's Day to everybody. Uh, hope you're safe. We're in a sermon series called Going Viral right now, and uh, by the way, I'm Tim, <laughs> if you didn't know that. And uh, it's, we're talking about what are you spreading? Now, before we get into today's lesson on faithfulness, I thought we'd look at a YouTube video. And so uh, we're going to try to embed that in here. And so watch it uh, for it's about a three minute video called Virus Bedtime Story 2020. <sighs> Tell me the one about the virus again, then I'll go to bed. But my boy, you're growing weary, sleepy thoughts about your head. Please, that one's my favorite. I promise just once more. Okay, snuggle down, my boy, though I know you know full well. The story starts before then, in a world I once would dwell. It was a world of waste and wonder, of poverty and plenty, back before we understood why hindsight's twenty-twenty. You see, the people came up with companies to trade across all lands, but they swelled and got much bigger than we ever could have planned. We'd always had our wants, but now it got so quick. You could have anything you dreamed of in a day, and with a click. We noticed families had stopped talking. That's not to say they never spoke, but the meaning must have melted and the work-life balance broke. And the children's eyes grew squarer and every toddler had a phone. They filtered out the imperfections, but amidst the noise, they felt alone. And every day the skies grew thicker till you couldn't see the stars. So we flew in planes to find them while down below we filled our cars. We'd drive around all day in circles. We'd forgotten how to run. We swapped the grass for tarmac, shrunk the parks till there were none. We filled the sea with plastic, because our waste was never capped. Until each day when you went fishing, you'd pull them out, already wrapped. And while we drank and smoked and gambled, our leaders taught us why. It's best to not upset the lobbies. More convenient but then in 2020 a new virus came our way the governments reacted and told us all to hide away but while we all were hidden amidst the fear and all the while the people dusted off their instincts they remembered how to smile they started clapping to say thank you and calling up their mums and while the car keys gathered dust they would look forward to their runs and with the skies less full of voyagers, the earth began to breathe, and the beaches bore new wildlife that scuttled off into the seas. Some people started dancing, some were singing, some were baking. We'd grown so used to bad news, but some good news was in the making. And so when we found the cure, and were allowed to go outside, we all preferred the world we found to the one we'd left behind. Old habits became extinct, and they made way for the new. And every simple act of kindness was now given its due. But why did it take a virus to bring the people back together? Well, sometimes you've got to get sick, my boy, before you start feeling better. Now lie down and dream of tomorrow and all the things that we can do. And who knows, if you dream hard enough, maybe some of them will come true. We now call it the Great Realisation and yes, since then, there have been many. 
but that's the story of how it started, and why hindsight's twenty twenty. That video makes you think, doesn't it? It's amazing the powerful impact of this COVID-19 is having on everything. Think about this, folks. It's taken a virus to open our eyes. You ever thought about that? It's opening our eyes to appreciate things, to appreciate life, to uh, value our family and our friends. It's altered our priorities. It's changed our plans. It's spreading something good. And it's my prayer that uh, that Jesus will have a similar impact on you. That uh, you'll be infected by his love. And as you carry it, you'll uh, ignore the spiritual social distancing that seems to be so prevalent. And you'll spread it to others. Now, God wants to spread something. He wants to spread Spread this, this, the message, the gospel, his love, his joy, peace, patience, kindness, all these things we've talked about. He wants to spread them specifically through you. And so today I want to talk about faithfulness. Now, when you talk about faithfulness, uh, I don't know what comes to your mind. What do you, what do you think about? Let me give you some synonyms. If you, if you want to get some notes, there are some notes that you can download from the Greater Alton Church Org website. Here are some synonyms to faithfulness. One, dependability. Another one is trustworthiness. Dedication comes to mind. Commitment. And here's an interesting one, loyalty. You know, uh, you, you, we associate, most of the time, we associate uh, faithfulness to marriage, especially to the marriage vows. I know that I have uh, a nephew that's going to be married. He was going to get married, but they, but this social distancing has made this ceremony impossible but they're going to they're planning on getting married and somewhere in the ceremony like all ceremonies you're going to hear something like a vow being made that they're promising their love to each other through a better for worse for richer for poor what are they promising they're making a vow to be faithful and so we think of faithfulness we think of a faithful spouse or being faithful in marriage or maybe we maybe a loyal friendship comes to mind i can think of several friendships where the loyalty is just uh, so strong and where some friendships that, that has been lost. Um, there's landmarks. I think about you go to Yellowstone uh, National Park and you're going to run into a, a geyser of many, but one in particular called Old Faithful. And why is that? Well, it always erupts at the same time. Crowds gather to get that, to get that uh, picture. Uh, if you're in the military, uh, you'll hear some of you, I'll hear some of you Marines like uh, Paul Mariolis will say, Semper Fi, or Jim Quick, and they'll say it to each other and go, Oorah. And what's Semper Fi mean? It means always loyal, always faithful. There's slogans, companies that picked up slogans. They've used slogans to try to, to, to somehow convey their faithfulness, their loyalty, their commitment and dependability. Um, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Uh, or Maxwell House, it's good to the last drop. What are they talking about? They're talking about faithfulness. Uh, if you work for someone long enough, they may honor you with some some token that shows their appreciation for their for your faithful service in the company. And what are they talking about there? They're talking about your dependability, your hard work, your loyalty. 
to the company. Every four years, we hear an elected official make a promise to its nation. They say something like, I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States. Even Jesus talks about faithfulness in the Bible. He mentions in uh, the words from a master to a servant that says, well done, good and faithful servant. We honor and admire faithful people. And why is that? Because they keep their word. Because you can count on them. And they're with you through thick and thin. But even though we honor faithfulness and we try to attach it to so many ways and give reference to it, faithfulness is rare. It's a rare and priceless virtue. Look what the Bible says here in Proverbs 12 or Psalms 12. David says, help, Lord, for no one is faithful anymore. Those who are loyal have vanished from the human race. Faithfulness is hard to find. And if you could be honest, just be honest for a minute. How faithful are you? I mean, um, how are you at keeping all of your promises? Do you have a reputation for being dependable? Can people count on you all the time? And does your commitment ever waver? See, loyalty is not natural for us. It's not something you're born with. Uh, Adam and Eve, first people ever to be on the planet, struggled being faithful. And it's, and it's been that way ever since. And the thing is, I want you to know this morning, is God wants to produce faithfulness in your life. But there's a catch. If he's going to do that, it's going to happen when I make this commitment to rely on on God. In other words, I make a commitment to be faithful in order for him to develop this faithfulness. Look what the Bible says here in Galatians 5. This has been the major text of, of our series. Notice it says, but when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, there's the catch right there. Catch that? It says he'll produce this kind of fruit in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and look at that, faithfulness. Now I got to thinking about this. Right now the Father is in heaven and Jesus is sitting or standing right beside him next to his throne. But the Holy Spirit is still on earth. Now why is the Holy Spirit here? Well, he's here because he's interested in you. God is interested in you and he's here to, to keep creating. He was at creation. He's still trying to create. He's still trying to bring order. He brought order in creation. He's still trying to bring order into this world. He's trying to produce something. He's trying to produce godliness. In other words, something that God is like in your life. And one of the things he wants to give you that you naturally and I don't naturally have is God's faithfulness. So how does God do that? How does God produce faithfulness in my life? Let me give you four things you can do. Four things to think about so God can produce this faithfulness in your life. First, I treat the treasures God gives me as a trust. You know, I had to realize something the other day, and that was the first job God ever gave to man was to take care of his stuff. And that's never changed. From generation to generation, as each generation passes, God blesses them with, it, with, with stuff, with his stuff, with his things, his treasures. And each generation manages those only to hand them off to the next. Now it's our turn. 
Look at the Bible says here in 1 Corinthians 4. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Uh, you probably have noticed I've been on Facebook a lot lately. But it's not like you think. I'm not really reading what everybody's doing. I'm selling stuff on Facebook. And I've been selling any kind of thing I could find. I'm trying to create, it's creating some space in my life. Honestly, that's really kind of cool. But I catch, caught myself as I'm looking through my garage and looking through, um, the house or looking through the shop. I've noticed a couple of things. I have a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff. You know, when I got married, every, all the stuff that Denise and I had, that included all the gifts we got fit in a little, little 12 by 60 trailer and a little metal shed outside the back door. Now I have this shed that's four times larger than the shed I originally owned. I've got this big house. I've got this shop. I got a lot of stuff. You ever notice how much stuff you got? Yeah, but there's something else you need to know. I noticed this too. It doesn't really belong to me. God has given these things to me over the years. He's blessed me with all this stuff over the years. It's really, it's almost like he's loaned it to me. In fact, he has loaned it to me. He's loaned it to you. So while I'm here on earth and God blesses me with all these things, he's wanting me to manage them. Because here's the thing. When you die, when I die, the kids will go through what they want to keep. The rest will go to maybe an auction or a yard sale. And then after that, it ends up at Goodwill. Why? You can't take it with you. It's It stays with the original owner. And that's the Lord. So none of this stuff really belongs to me. So what do I do with it? Well, it means that I'm only a manager of it. And God expects you and I to be faithful with them. He wants to wants us to use them, to use these things in a way that will please the original owner. Look at this passage in Luke 16. Paul said, or uh, Jesus said this. He goes, if you've been faithful, not been faithful, I'm sorry, with what belongs to someone else, who will give you what belongs to you? I mean, how do you handle other people's possessions? It's going to have a significant impact on whether or not God's going to bless you with more. Years ago, I was counting this up, it was several years ago, I got a call around midnight. Someone said, hey, someone's been in an auto accident and, and they need you down there. And I'm going, oh my. So I get in my car, I rush down, and it's in East Alton down by the viaduct. And I see the car, it is just totaled. And here's this uh, young lady who's a member of our church, and she's sitting in the back of the ambulance, and she's got a band a Band-Aid around her head, and there's blood trickling down. And she's like, oh, Tim, I'm so glad you're here. I go, what happened? Well, I was driving and I must have not saw the driver. I don't know. Something happened. The next thing you know, I, oh, and she's crying. And she's like, oh, I can't believe this. And I go, well, and it was somebody else's car, by the way, that she had borrowed. And she didn't ask them. I found that out. She didn't even ask. She just took the car. And I said, so um, you OK? Yeah, I'm OK. Oh, that's good. I got a question, Tim. What? Can I borrow your car? <laughs> and I go, no! And she goes, what are you yelling at me? I'm not going to let you borrow my car. Look what you did to this person's car. You didn't even ask. She goes, oh, please stop yelling. You get the point, don't you? How do you treat other people's stuff? If you don't treat it with faithfulness, nobody's going to give you their stuff. And God's not either. And you're not going to receive your stuff. That he's promised you. 
It all comes down to faithfulness. And say it, so I treat, I treat these treasures that God gives me as a trust. And look what the, look what Jesus said here. He says, the master replied in this story, he tells, he goes, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. And look what he says. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. See, God rewards and honors faithfulness. And he, first of all, he honors it. Imagine God saying to you, well done, good and faithful servant. That would, I long to hear that. I hope you do too. What a, what a tremendous tribute uh, to say something like that to someone. And God wants to say that to us. But he all, not only does he get, uh, reward us with, with, with an honor, but with more. You see, as, as uh, my faithfulness grows, blessings grow. And and I don't know some of, I don't know how it is with you, but um, some of you here I don't know if you've ever caught yourself. Well, if I had something, I would use it for the Lord. You know, when we were younger, if I had something, I would. Well, thing here's how you know if you really mean that. When you do finally get something, do you use it? And see if you do, God will bless you with even more. And then I notice he also rewards us with fulfillment and enjoyment. He says, come, let's share together the happiness in your father's kingdom. So that's the first thing. I treat the treasures God gives me as a trust. Number two, I take a radical approach with the rivals of God. This is very important. Let me ask you a question. What's number two and number three in your life? So what kind of question is that? What's number two and number three? Well, why would you ask a question like that, Tim? Because number two and number three are the closest to number one. And they're trying to get there. So you've got to make it clear who or what is going to be first in your life if you're going to be faithful. Jesus said it this way. No one can serve two masters at the same time. You'll hate one and love the other. And look what he says here. Hey, you will be loyal to one and not care about the other. I was at church camp. And there were, this camp was a large camp. There were seven, eight cabins for the girls and four for the boys. It was paradise, man. For a teenager, woohoo! And I decided I was going to try to have a relationship with two girls at the same time. It didn't end well. Okay? It was awful. It was a big mistake. You might say, Tim, what were you thinking? I was 15, okay? I didn't know what I was doing. I'm stupid. Give me a break here. But I learned something. It doesn't, they both found out, and I was, I was toast. I was mud to them. What I learned was, you can't serve two girlfriends at the same time that it this doesn't work with girls and it sure doesn't work with god we serve a jealous god and it's not because he's insecure it's because he wants to be first in our life and it's got to be clear who's going to be first sometimes you got sometimes you got to take some radical steps to make that clear to others and to god 
You know, the Bible compares our relationship with him to marriage in several places in the Bible. There's a whole book in the Old Testament you ever get a chance to read. It's called the book of Hosea. And it talks about this, this relationship between Israel and God. God asks Hosea, tells Hosea, commands him to marry a prostitute. And the prostitute represents Israel and Hosea represents God. And watching these two, watching this, this relationship and how it goes, unfolds, it reveals how it is between Israel and God. She can't stop turning tricks. She keeps going out behind his back. And you see all the problems of a marriage in this relationship. And it's the same is true with God and Israel. You see Israel hiding from God, lying to God, and ogling just ogling over other gods and other things. They're caught up in their pleasures and their possessions. And so they're not faithful to God. And so Hosea has to keep going out and finding his wife. His wife by name is Gomer. Deal with it. Anyways, it's Gomer. And he's out there trying to find her and finds her on the street, brings her back, only to see her go out again and bring her back. And that's the picture God has and how he feels about Israel. She leaves. She's unfaithful. And he keeps taking her back. Why? He wants to have a marriage. Hosea, it says something about, he, he, I promised myself to you. I've betrothed you to be my wife. That's how strong he feels. But look what he's, look what Hosea, uh, Hosea 4 1 says. It says, People of Israel, listen to the Lord's message. The people are not true, not loyal to God, they don't even know him. And you see all this happening. Years ago, I was thinking the other day, it was 30 years ago. Um, I had a couple that was needing some help. They were emerged in trouble. And we're trying to get to the bottom of what's going on. What's going on is he's having an affair. It finally, he finally brings it out. I'm having an affair with somebody at work. It's awful. And yet the two of them want to work it out. They want the marriage to work. And so I look to the wife and I go, what do you need from him? She goes, I need the woman's phone number. And you could see the sweat beads popping off this guy's forehead. I don't have the phone number. You know he has the phone number. Everybody in the room knows he has the phone number. Give give her the phone number. I don't have it. If you want to save this marriage, you're going to give her the phone number. He finally gives her the phone number, dials it on the phone, hands his wife the phone, and then the woman answers. I'll never forget this. The wife begins to cry, can't control herself. Listen, this is so-and-so, and you've been seeing my husband, and I'm asking you to stop. And she just can hardly breathe. Please stop. We're trying to save our marriage. Will you please do this for me? I need my husband. I want my husband. I love my husband. Please stop. And you can hear, I can hear on the line, oh, ma'am, don't, okay, sure, sure, I'll stop. No problem. And they, she hangs up and hands the phone back. And I sat there and I thought to myself, this isn't over. Her phone call is not what's going to end this. His phone call is. So he has to make a phone call. Why? Because he has to decide and he has to stop. He puts the end of the affair, not her. Let me ask you, you having a spiritual affair? Isn't it time for it to end? 
you got to get radical with the rivals of God. I don't know what the rival is. It can be good things too, but they're trying to get to first place in your life. And God says, that's only for me, reserved for me. I'm making a vow to you like a, like a spouse at a wedding. I'm, I'm promising to be with you and faithful to you forever. And he's wanting you to do the same. Look what the Bible says here in Hosea 12. This is how radical God is with Hosea, uh, the people. He says, return to your God with faithful love and justice. What's he mean by justice? He's talking about the love, their love not only being faithful, but being real and genuine and clear. He goes, and wait continually for your God. He says, don't be waiting and seeking something else. You come to me and me only. See, to return to God, they'd have to leave the others behind. It had to be very clear. You want to be faithful? You've got to take radical steps with the rivals. What is it? Fellas, is it lust? Is it, is it, listen, mom and dad, is it your kids? They're more important than God himself. Is it a car? Is it a house? Is it a job? Is it what people think? Understand, it's trying to be first. And those things are terrible masters when they're first. Great servants under the under the watchful master's eye of God. What step do you need to take? Number three, to be faithful, I get back up when I'm unfaithful to God. I don't care who you are. Everybody's got their failure, their limit. Proverbs 24 says this, no matter how many times you trip them up, God loyal people don't stay down long. Soon they're up on their feet. You know, I learned something about faithfulness. Faithfulness is not, is not flawlessness. No, it's, it, failure is not the end of, of it all. Uh, faithfulness is at the end. A lot of people, they, they end it because they failed. They don't understand. If they get back up, faithfulness will be the way the story ends. The way things end. It's at the end waiting for us. And there's a lot of faithful, here's, I know this, a lot of faithful people in the Bible I see blew it over and over again. You have Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, they're faithful. The Bible calls them faithful. But you know they're not perfect because some of them lied. This is my sister when it's really their wife. Some of them were afraid and rebellious. I don't care what you're saying, Lord. I'm going to do it this way, what Moses would do. You've got Noah getting hammered, drunk. You have David who has an affair, who has... A fling with a woman across the street. But yet these guys are faithful. They're not perfect. Why are they faithful? Why are they still considered faithful? Because they refuse to quit. When they blow it, they get back up. Like a fighter, they fight to get back up. That's how faithful people are, see? Their faith helps them fight to get back on their feet. They don't quit. And the thing I know I'm learning is each time you get back up, God gives you a little more faithfulness. The Bible says David was a man after God's own heart. Yet we know that of his sin of Bathsheba, 
that uh, he blows it. And in Psalms 51, he writes a song about that experience. And it's a song about confession, but it's also a song about rebound, about getting back up. And listen, this is what he says in Psalms 51. I know I've done wrong. I remember that sin all the time. I did what you said is wrong. You're the only one I've sinned against. And look what he says in verse six. Lord, you want me to be completely loyal. In other words, I know you want me to be that, but I'm going to need your help. So put true wisdom deep inside me. I can't. This doesn't come natural for me, Lord. So I need your help. And look look how he wraps it up here. What he says in Psalms 51 verses 9 through 10. He says, don't look at my sins. Erase them. Erase them all. God, create a pure heart in me and make my spirit strong again. David admits his mistakes. And he says, Lord, I, I know you want me to be loyal. I know. Help me get back up. Restore my strength. Restore me, the heart that I have for you. Because it's all broken with unfaithfulness. And what does God do? He makes his spirit strong again. And he'll strengthen your spirit when you get back up and you move on. But it's important that you get back up. Everybody blows it. We've all been unfaithful to God from time to time. And what you do with that is is as important or more important than what you did that was unfaithful. Because getting back up and moving on builds faithfulness in your life. Number four, I appreciate how loyal God is to me. You want to know something that motivates me to be faithful? It's knowing that how faithful God has been and is being to me. That's one of the key, one of the key reasons um, I'm faithful to my wife, Denise, is because she's faithful to me. It's her faithfulness that motivates me to be loyal to her. Now, I got to admit to you, I know some marriages and I know some spouses that have left their husband, left their wife, been unfaithful. And down deep inside, I go, I don't blame them because they were treated rotten. They broke their promise. I'm just being honest with you. I, sometimes, you know, it's I can understand why that happens. What I'm saying this to you for is for this reason. Though that may happen with people. No one is as loyal to you as the Lord. He's never walked out on you. He's never been unfaithful to you. And you know, I find that a great motivation to get up when I fail, but also stay on course and keep following him. Look what the Bible says here in Psalms 36. Your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the skies, because it's huge. It's, it, it, I can't take it all in. It's as big as the sky. It's consistent as the stars and the clouds and the and everything else. David would say this. He'd say, Lord, you're loyal to those who are loyal. And I say to you, to those of you who are faithful, you know, God is faithful to you. He's good to those that are good. And you might say, well, yes, I expect that. But Tim, what about me? I, you know, times I, I mess up and I, I, I blow it. I mean, what if... What if my spouse is unfaithful? What if a friend betrays me? What if somebody breaks their word? I mean, I just don't feel as obligated 
to keep mine when they break theirs. Listen, join the crowd. I, I, I get it. But I want you to know God is different. Totally different. Look what the Bible says here in Romans 3. What if some were unfaithful? Will their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? And look at the answer. Not at all. I know it's Mother's Day. I'm thinking about Jim Simpson's family. Uh, he lost his mother this week. And I know Jim's... You're thinking, man, on Mother's Day weekend, your mother's not there. And I'm sure Jim, like many of us, are thinking about our moms, how faithful they are. I was talking to my mom uh, a couple weeks ago, and I was talking about, you know, just how... And uh, I've got good two good sons. I really am so thankful to God. She goes, well, you know why, don't you? And I go, and I'm thinking, I know what she's going to say. She goes, their mother is amazing. And I went, yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> she's faithful. And I think about Mother's Day, and I think about the faithfulness of a mom. Uh, I thought about an obscure story tucked away in the Old Testament that most people don't know. And it's a story of a mom named Ritzba. You find her tucked away in 2 Samuel, I think 21. I think that's where it is. Ritzba was a concubine of Saul, King Saul. And when David was taking over, the house of Saul and David were at war with one another. In fact, one of the youngest sons is Shibboleth. I can't even I can't pronounce his name. Um, he is a like a puppet king. And uh, David is, is coming. And there's such a conflict that all the sons of Saul are executed. The house of Saul is completely wiped out except for one son, the son of Jonathan. Because David promised his friend Jonathan, I won't harm your son. Rizba has bore Saul two of those sons. And so they've been executed. She can't do anything about it. She's a concubine. She has no power. And and she has no way to control this. And so she watches her sons being executed. And they're left tied up, uh, hanging from a tree or uh, up against a, a boulder, just a rot. Everybody is left except Rizpa. She will not leave she stays there. It's, the Bible says she makes a tent out of sackcloth. Basically, she just covers herself with sackcloth. And with this cloth, she's chasing away the vultures and the animals from the dead bodies of the rotting dead bodies of her sons. You know how long she does this? She does this for six months. I will not let. I can just imagine. I'm just trying to picture as she's as she's chasing off these vultures and these hyenas and whatever animals are trying to to eat the rotting flesh of her boys. Nobody's going to touch my boys. Everybody else is left, but I'm not leaving you, sons. You're dead. That don't change a thing. You're still my sons. You're still my boys. I won't leave you. Nothing's going to change that. David hears about that. Hears about the faithfulness of this mother and goes... I can't, I can't stand this. And so he takes those two sons along with Saul and Jonathan and gives them a royal 
burial. That's the power of the faithful mother. And it's also, Ritzma gives us a picture of how God is with you and I. See, everyone can leave you. Everyone can desert you. And God says, but I won't. Everyone can give up on you. I won't. I can't. You're still my children. Even when you read the book of Hosea and you read some of the minor prophets, God will say, I'm going to do this and I'm going to come down and I'm going to come down. And finally goes, I can't do it. I can't do it. Why? I just love you so much. You've got to change. But it's, it's hard for God to discipline his people. But he does it out of love. Does it out of justice. And like Ritzba, he says, I don't care what you've done. You'll always be mine. That never changes. I think about my mom. Some of the things I've done to disappoint her, and she's, her love has never wavered. And God is, makes my mom look like an amateur. Makes my wife, as a mom to her sons, look like a novice. Because God says, I'm with you. And even if you're dead, even if it seems that you're useless, I'm staying right here with you and I'll not leave without you. And every day God has got this faithfulness going for your life. He watches where you go. He watches what you do. He, watch, he goes, I'm not leaving your side. Not so I can get a gotcha moment because I'm trying to get you to be with me in heaven and I'll, I'll not leave you until it's over. Look at it says in 2 Timothy 2 here. Paul says to Timothy, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. Why? For he cannot disown himself. He sees you as he's every guy, every man watching, you're his son. Every woman, you're his daughter. And he says, I can't disown. And I will, I will not stop. When you're tempted, I'll provide a way out. I'm faithful. I'll provide a way out. When you feel alone, I'm right there. I'll never leave you. And every promise I've given you, I intend to fulfill. All I'm asking for you is to make a commitment. And even though it's not natural, to make a commitment to be faithful to me. And I'll do the rest. And when you fall, I'll help you get back up. What a message, huh? On Mother's Day. Let me ask you a simple question this morning. What do you need to do to be faithful? What treasure do you need to start treating as a trust? What radical step do you need to be making this morning with a rival of God? And say, you know, I got to make it clear. I need to cut that. I need to make that call and cut that affair off now. Maybe you've been unfaithful and it's hard to get up. God wants to help. He'll help you get up. Just ask him to help you get up. You can rebound. You can recover what you've lost. Or maybe it's, and maybe let, letting just that appreciation for how God has been faithful to you. When everybody else was down and out and everybody else left you, he said, not me. I will stay with you. Let that motivate you to make a decision this morning.
Let's pray together here. Father, thank you for your faithfulness. It's as big as the sky and it's as solid as a mountain. And God, thank you for loving us and treating us in a way that we don't deserve. Let your faithfulness, Father, motivate us to treat the things you bless us with as as a trust. We make a promise, Father. We're making a promise. We're going to be faithful to the things you give us. And if you give us more, we'll use them to please you because you're the original owner. Father, there is something that I need to say once and for all. I need to I need to say that's out. That is not going to be first in my life because that's reserved for you. Father, help us make that kind of choice today. And Father, help us get up. Some of us here have been knocked down. We've had a bad week. Help us get up knowing if we get up, we'll be stronger because of it. Because you'll stay with us and you'll walk with us. Again, we appreciate how loyal you are. And we pray, Father, that you'll you'll produce and grow through the process of following you the fruit of faithfulness in our lives. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.